Again, I do thank you for the opportunity to be able to be with you this morning and just share what God is doing, how God is working. Um, And just want to share a very familiar um, passage, very familiar parable here um, in Luke chapter 15. And and it's it's interesting to see here how some commentators will actually say the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son is really one parable. Um, Three different stories, one parable encompassed into one. Some say it's three different events. Um, But we're going to look at the very first part, um, that very first parable, the parable of the lost sheep this morning, um, and look at how that God desires to redeem and rescue every single person and will go after any person. Um, so that they can have a clear understanding of the gospel. Um, As we said in the presentation, before we jump into Luke chapter 15, brokenness can really be traced all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Um, I I mentioned in the presentation, brokenness is not something that we just sit around talking about on a regular basis. But brokenness is something that can really be traced all the way back to the very beginning. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, brokenness entered into our world. You see, Adam and Eve were the only, other than Jesus, the only two perfect people there ever were. And then, um, like people that can be, they kind of blew it, so to speak. Um, And God gave them a free will. God gave them a choice. God did not tell Adam and Eve that you're going to serve me, you're going to follow me, and you're going to have to do it. He, he He didn't mandate that upon them. He gave them a free choice and a free will, whether they were going to follow Christ, follow God or not. And because of Adam and Eve's choice to sin against God, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because of this, sin entered into our world. And God's redemptive plan began at that point. And you know, I'm it, 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 using my imagination, it's interesting to think that God sitting up in heaven when Adam and Eve made their choice to rebel against God, made their choice to break that fellowship. God was not sitting up in heaven thinking, oh great, what am I going to do now? God was not sitting up there thinking, okay, they've ruined my plan and he's trying to figure out things. God in his sovereignty knew what Adam and Eve would choose. And he knew that he would need to have a plan to win Adam and Eve, to win mankind back to himself. And so in God's sovereignty, God knew Adam and Eve would disobey Him and they would go their own way. And He knew that fellowship would be broken and that there would need to be a way made for redemption. So we see here that God offered a way to restore hope, to restore fellowship to broken people. And we see that Jesus was the person who offers hope to broken people. Now in Luke chapter 15, in order to get a little bit of the context, we're going to look back, briefly give some idea of what Luke chapter 14 was was taking place. At the end of Luke 14, Jesus is explaining to the crowd listening to him that they must count the cost of following after Christ. You see, there was a group of, of, of people, a group of individuals that were not really counting the cost of what it meant to follow after Christ. They were not counting the cost of what it meant to forsake everything and to follow after him. Jesus makes some pretty strong statements at the very end of Luke chapter 14 about this idea of hating your mother and father and following after me. And he was not necessarily condoning hatred. He was just trying to explain to these people the seriousness and the weight of following after Christ and what that looked like. And by this time, a group of people had gathered around Jesus. 
Um, much like what typically happened with Jesus and his teachings. And, and there were many different people that gathered around and, and really flocked to what Jesus had to say. There were some people who hung to every word. They literally loved what Jesus was saying. They enjoyed learning and gleaning truth from Christ. But then there were also some people there that did not like what Jesus had to say. They did not appreciate what he was saying. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees were fuming mad at what Jesus was saying. And so here we have a group of people. We have many different people groups here listening to Jesus. And it's at this point that Jesus begins to tell a parable about the lost sheep and what it looks like to, to go after lost people. It says in Luke chapter 15, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with him. So by this time the crowd has gathered around Jesus. It, it consists of different people groups and, and the Pharisees and, and Sadducees were left very angry at the fact that Jesus would spend time with sinners. You see, they were upset and angry and mad that Jesus would not only spend time with sinners, but that he would sit down and he would eat with sinners. And they're thinking, how can someone who says they're the Son of God, how can someone, first of all, the fact that he even declared to be the Son of God, they were angry with, but then how could he sit there and eat with sinners? And, and it's interesting in reading through this passage and looking at some different commentaries and, and just studying through this passage, I came across this statement made by John Phillips. It says, The Pharisees and the scribes drew their self-righteous robes around themselves. They sneered at this sudden move of outcasts and untouchables towards Jesus, and they sarcastically made this statement, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So he's explaining the passage here, and John Phillips goes on to say, No more wonderful thing was ever said about the sinless Son of the living God than this man spent time with sinners. You see, Jesus is trying to teach here in Luke chapter 15. It's geared towards a heart transformation. And what he's trying to explain, and as I began to think through this passage, I began to think, what if Jesus had not spent time with sinners? Had Jesus not spent time with sinners, there would have been no hope for me as a 16-year-old boy at Trinity Free Will Baptist Camp in Gwin, Alabama to accept Christ as my personal Savior. You see, I grew up in a, in a fundamental Bible-believing Free Will Baptist Church my entire life, went to Christian school. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, mom and dad. Um, dad was a deacon in the church, mom taught in the Christian school. I mean, I, I, it was about as close to church ministry as you were going to get without having a dad. I had a granddad that was a pastor. Um, grew up playing the part of a Christian, really putting on the front of a Christian, um, but began to realize when I was at camp that, that day as a 16-year-old boy on a Monday night that there was something missing in my life. Um, I could basically do everything right, so to speak, in, in, in Christian's eyes to where I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I, I wore what I was supposed to, do what, did what I was supposed to. I mean, and, and really, I went to my youth pastor that next day and told him that I accepted Christ as my Savior. And he looked at me almost like I was crazy, like I thought you already were saved. And I told him, well, I thought I was too. Um, but I began to realize that it wasn't necessarily the fact that I grew up in a Christian home. It wasn't the fact 
that I attended church, that I went to a Christian school. It wasn't the fact that my mom and daddy were Christians, that I grew up in a free will Baptist church. None of that is really what saved me. The, the, the long list of rules and regulations and things that, that I lived by is not what saved me. It was a personal relationship with Christ. You see, here Jesus was trying to explain to these people listening that it's not all these things that you do that saves you. What saves you and what sets you apart is the fact that you put your faith and trust in Christ and you determine to follow Him with your life. And you see, it's at this point that we understand that Jesus is teaching in Luke 15 that we need to have a transformed heart and He wants us to see that whether sinner or Pharisee, we all are broken. Because we're all sinners who now are saints and, and we, we are set apart to follow after God with our lives. And Jesus responds by telling these disciples, after all this has taken place, after telling all of these people at the crowd, He responds with one of the greatest stories ever told. In verse 3 of chapter 15 it says, And He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which was lost until he found it. You see, there's a shepherd here in this passage that has a hundred different sheep. And he encounters a problem. He goes and he, he's looking at his sheep and he realizes that one of these sheep are missing. And you see, at this point, the shepherd really has a decision he has to make. He has to decide whether that sheep is worth searching for. He has to decide whether it's worth going after the one lost sheep. Whether it's worth going through the time and the energy to go after the one that was lost. And here in this passage we also see that there's times where, and we see throughout Scripture, to where we as people can be like lost sheep. You know, it's easy to look at Scripture and it's easy to cast, well, I can't believe this person did that or that person did this. And really, if we put ourselves in their shoes at that time, we might would have done the exact same thing. And, and you see here in, in, in Scripture, we see that people are compared. Jesus compares us to lost sheep. In fact, sheep here, if, if we think about it very long, we could become offended because sheep are not really smart animals. I mean, we think of, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a farm boy at all. I grew up on a farm, but it was not a farm when I was growing up. They farmed, they stopped long before I did. So doing some research on sheep, sheep are not the smartest animals. Really, sheep are rather stupid animals. They, they really are. If sheep can get off course, they're going to get off course. If sheep can get distracted, they're going to get distracted. If sheep can take the easy route, they're going to take the easy route. How many of you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, that sounds like you in the past month? There are times we take the easy route. We get distracted. We get off course. And Jesus describes to us as, as sheep. Sheep have everything to gain by following the shepherd, but everything to lose by getting distracted, getting off course, and following away, falling away from the shepherd. And so here this shepherd has a choice to make and this shepherd decides that this broken, lost sheep is worth searching for. And you see, there are people in our communities, there are people all across this world that Jesus feels the same way about. Whether they're saved, whether they're lost, people are worth searching. The saved are worth searching after, or I'm sorry, the lost are worth searching after to restore them and bring them to Christ but you see, after salvation, the road is not always easy. The road is not always fun, so to speak. And there are times we get broken, we get weary, and you see Jesus pursues after us. 
in our brokenness and in our emptiness at times, even after salvation, and comes after us as lost sheep. So we see that broken people are worth searching for. In, in verse chapter 5, it says, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. You see, this shepherd makes the decision to go after the lost sheep. He searches until he finds the lost sheep. You see, there's only one thing he could do. The only thing that he could do was to make sure that the 99 sheep were cared for, that they were secure, that they were safe. He went after the lost sheep, and when he found that lost sheep, it says that he rejoiced. He rejoiced over this one lost sheep that was found. You see, once he finds it, the shepherd then lays it on his shoulders and he gets it out of harm's way. He takes care of that sheep. He nurtures that sheep. He makes sure that that sheep can come safely back into the fold. And you see, Jesus is calling us to do the exact same thing. Whether it be in Hickory, North Carolina, whether it be here in Reedsville, North Carolina, whether it be wherever it may be, across this state, across this nation, across this world, God is calling us as individuals, to share with people that there is a God who loves them. No matter what they've done, no matter what they found themselves in, God loves them and God wants to have a relationship with them. You see, but God also is a God who searches after those who've accepted Him, but have also found themselves in some difficult situations. That's find, found themselves in a situation where they feel as, as if they're alone and no one cares but they need to know if there's a God that cares and there's a church that cares for them that wants to restore them back to fellowship with Him. And you see, just as the shepherd went after the one lost sheep, Jesus pursues lost people. Jesus pursues broken people. And He wants us to do the exact same thing. Right now, there's estimated over 7.8 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people. I can't grab my mind around. I'm not a math person at all. And so anything more than five, sometimes I struggle with. Um, but 7.8 billion people, and it's amazing to think that no matter what they choose, no matter what they decide to do, Jesus died for every single one of those people. And if those people are willing to choose to follow after Christ, He is ready and willing to set them free from the bondage of sin. And so this morning, just in a very short kind of compact message here, I just want to challenge you where you are in, in the context you're in here in, in Reedsville to, to, to reach after and to search after those lost sheep, those, those people who need to, to, to experience true salvation and, and a true repentance and a true uh, longing for God. But then also those people who have found themselves in some tricky spots to be a place of refuge for them where they can come in and hear about a God who still loves them, a God who still wants to set them free and continue that process in their lives. So this morning, will you determine to pursue the one in your life who needs to hear the gospel? There may be someone God's placed on your heart and in your mind this morning that needs to hear the gospel or, or that needs to know that there is still someone who cares for them and someone who is pursuing them. Will you determine to share Christ in your community here in Reedsville, North Carolina, as you try to reach people with the power of the gospel? Will you commit to help others share Christ in their communities and around the world? 
You know, we understand that not everybody can travel to Hickory, North Carolina or wherever it may be. Your pastor would not be very, very happy if I took all of y'all with me to Hickory. Um, that, that, that would kind of defeat the purpose of, of local church here. But we do understand that we as Free Will Baptists can rally together to help reach men and women, boys and girls, all across our state, all across our world, all across the globe. And what's interesting, um, back in the 1900s, um, there was a story that we came across as we were really trying to do some demographic information in context with Hickory. And we came across, my wife actually came across this story. It became known as the Miracle of Hickory back in the 1930s. Um, when the uh, polio epidemic was really spreading across our state, um, it didn't affect the West very much until the second kind of bout came across the state. And, and at that point, the western part of North Carolina was really saturated with polio. And during that time, the, the closest hospital to them in, in Hickory was about probably an hour and a half away in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the polio wards very quickly became full there in Charlotte. And so the people of Hickory decided that they were going to gather together. They were going to pull all their resources together um, to, to, to erect makeshift tents, makeshift hospitals. And in the course of about three to four days, they were able to, to, to put together these, these resources. They were able to put together 50-some doctors that came together to help fight this epidemic of polio. During that time, over the course of about 12 to 14 weeks, um, they only saw about 400 different deaths, which was the, the least amount in any area um, close to them. And they were able to accomplish something that seemed impossible simply because people gathered together for one cause, for one goal, and that was to save people that had experienced the epidemic of polio. And you see, as we were looking through that and thinking, that quickly became known as the miracle of Hickory. And, and, and I believe that God wants to perform a far greater miracle in Hickory than what He did even in the 1930s. And God can use two ordinary, very, very ordinary families. The Smith family, the Huff family, there's nothing super special about us. We're just ordinary people who have allowed God to use us in what we hope and pray to be extraordinary ways. And you see, God has used people all across this state to help plant this church in Hickory. It's amazing if you look, and, and I don't have time to share all the stories with you, or you want to eat lunch at some point today, but it's amazing to see how just God putting this team together and God helping us with funding and, and providing in all these different ways the miracle that God has already done in Hickory. And to look forward at the miracle that God is going to continue to do in, in Hickory. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you as a church to be a part of that. And you can have a huge part in that just by praying for us, by giving. But we also understand that you have a context here as well. And so we want to partner with you where you pray for us and we pray for you to win the lost people of Hickory, to win the lost people of Reedsville, North Carolina with the power of the gospel. You know, we have the greatest story that we could ever tell. And let's make a commitment that we will share that with a lost and dying world that needs to hear that there's a God who loves them, there's a God who pursues them, and there's a God that longs to have a relationship with them.